So we are in Isaiah chapter 41 this morning as we work our way through the book of Isaiah. Again, the, the book of Isaiah is broken up and this is, we're in the second part. So Isaiah is looking into the future. He's looking into the future when the people of God, the people of Judah will be uh, put in Babylonian captivity. And he's writing to them so that they will have hope. And so this is one of the most hope-filled chapters in the book of Isaiah. I mean, the book of Isaiah is, is a brilliant uh, piece of scripture, but, but there are certain places in this, um, within this particular chapter that I have used um, just time and time again. Uh, for example, Isaiah 41.10 is something that I oftentimes remember because in being in Christ, being a part of the family of God, of the people of God, there is a sense in which when I, when I hear these words, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, that is a verse that I have written down. That is a verse that I have memorized. That is a verse that I have said, yes, I need that verse in my life because there are times when I feel very alone and apart from God, very isolated from the people of God. And there are difficulties where we cling to that verse. And so there are times now, there are times when, when I tell you like this verse is so key, like, like write it down, you know, put it on an index card, put it up in the mirror of your bathroom so that when you wake up in the morning that you remember that you are loved and not alone. Because I know that many of you feel that way. But fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, now that is, a, is an indication. Like, so so I'm, I'm taking a verse there, right? I'm taking a verse out of Isaiah chapter 41, and I'm basically taking it out of its context, and I'm telling you it's a good verse because it reminds us that if we are in fellowship with God, that we are never alone, that he loves us, that he takes care of us, and that's a wonderful place for us to be. But I've got to show you this verse. In Isaiah 41, because if we take this verse out of context, we will commit heresy. And, and, and I've got to show you this verse. This verse is really interesting, because when you look, and th- this could really be a verse that Christian outreach or our church uses in terms of its diaconate. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 6. It looks like a glorious verse. And it says this, Everyone helps his neighbor and says to, and says to his brother, Be strong. Now, if you just read that verse right there, you go, yeah, everyone helps his neighbor. That's a good thing, right? And says to his brother, be strong. Now, I will tell you that there have been churches and ministries and sermons written about this verse, and they take it out of the context of where it is, and they place it in a place that is ne- it's never meant to be. Now, certainly, are we to help our neighbor? Yes, Jesus tells us to do that, right? But he doesn't tell us this from this verse. Okay, are we called to remind the people of God to be strong? Like I just said, fear not for I am with you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Absolutely. We are called as the people of God to place courage within the the, the family of God, right? But that's not what this verse is talking about right here. This verse is talking about people who do not trust and believe in Jesus and they are building false idols on a false ideology and they are saying, you know what? You know, we, we've built these idols. What we really need to do is just trust in them more. Let's trust in these a little bit more. And, and um, so what we find uh, in this is uh, in Isaiah chapter 41, because if, if you look at the context and if you remove verses out of their context, we can very easily fall into heresy or confusion 
in the midst of understanding these verses because that particular verse is dealing with false idols. Because in the context, it says this, the coastlands have seen, I'm in verse 5, I'm going to read all of it in a second, okay? But I, I, just, I saw this and I'm like, man, we cannot make this verse our, our church's verse. But I could see where somebody would do it. In verse 5, it says, The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. So essentially what he's saying there is that things are bad. Things are struggling. I mean, when, when people... Um, I mean, we just celebrated the 20th year of 9-11, right? And, and I don't know if there's a, there's a Gospel Coalition podcast that talks about you know some people who were in New York City in the midst of uh, and only maybe four blocks away in an apartment, and they saw the... I mean, it was... It's a tragedy. And so what do you do? What do you do in the midst of towers falling and, and, and it seems like your whole world is turned upside down? That, that's what that verse is talking about right there. When everything seems like everything is crumbling, it says that they have drawn, the, the ends of the earth tremble, they have drawn near and come. And it says, everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. Now that looks right, except in verse 7 it says, the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. What are they alluding to? They're saying that we have built these idols, and in the midst of the world falling down around us, what we're going to do is we're going to nail the bottom of the idol to, this, to some piece of wood so it'll never fall. It's saying, so let's double down on the false idols of the world so that we can trust in them. So when the towers came down, what were you trusting in? Were you trusting in the government to help? Were you trusting in your 401k to help as the financial district was crumbling? And what they're saying is, no, no, we need to double down on defense spending. We need to double down on what we put aside into our 401ks. We need to double down. And what this is saying is, no, the only thing that we are called to double down on is our trust and belief in the Lord Jesus, in Yahweh sending his Messiah, that's who we're called to double down on. That's who we're called to trust in in all things. Again, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the Lord our God. So, just be careful as we're looking at different verses and going, okay, how do I use these verses in the midst of my life? I think in, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it's a wonderful place to write that verse and put it on a, ver- a verse card and say, Yes, let me cling to this. But be careful that you don't take a verse out of context like Isaiah chapter 41, verse 6, and build your life upon it, basically saying, you know what? Not only am I going to follow the idols of the world, but I'm going to trust in them doubly or triply, thinking that I can really work through these things. So, having said all that, let, let, me, let me read for you Isaiah chapter 41 in its entirety. Chapter 41, I'm, I'm going to keep you seated today because it is a long section of Scripture Uh, But hear the word of the Lord this morning. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with a hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant... 
Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast, cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and the Holy One of Israel, who you shall glory. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may, not, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come from the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay, who declared it from the beginning that we may know, and beforehand that we may say he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, Behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor. Who, when I ask, gives an answer? Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. May God add his blessing to the reading of all of that word. That's a lot. So as we jump into this, as we jump into Isaiah chapter 41, again, there's this idea of the, the law court. It says, listen to me in, in verse 1. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach when they speak. So that, that approaching is approaching sort of a law court. A, a judge's um, is, is, is what we have. Uh, the law court, the court system is what we have in our, in our mind there. And what it's saying there is juxtaposed to chapter 40 of Isaiah, where it says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. In verse 31, they shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They are the ones who will renew their strength, who trust in the Lord. But let the ones who do not know, let the ones who are far off, let the peoples renew their strength. But what are they renewing their strength in? 
And in the same way, we find that they are renewing their strength you know, in false gods and false idols. In chapter 41, verse 21, it says, Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proof, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Essentially what he's saying there in, in the midst of this, and we see all of this by the idea of false gods and gods that are graven images, is he's saying, bring your false gods and let me know how your false gods have created and sustained and have delivered you from all that is wicked. How does it comfort your soul? You know, many of us, I mean, we don't have idols in our house, right? Like, I don't have any like little like statues in my house that I bow down to, right? Now, around the world, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people and nations that do, but, but we don't. But we do have other things in our life that we bow down to and we, and we trust in, and we think, like, I'm going to, really place all my hope in these things. Um, I mean, one of which would be, like, let's, let's just say your bank account or how much money you have. And you go, like, if I have just this much money, I know that I will be able to provide for my family. Now, let, let me say, providing for your family is a wonderful thing. But I see people all the time who are trusting in their, their money and their wealth. And you know what really is sad is that that money and wealth does not bring them ultimate comfort and satisfaction in their lives. I don't know if you guys, um, have you ever met somebody who's really wealthy and really miserable? I oftentimes wonder, is their wealth contributing to the misery? So the very thing that they are holding close, thinking that this will sustain me and help me, is actually the very thing that is eating away at their soul. You know, what do we place in a place of idolatry? Is it, you know, our position at work? Is it um, advancement? Is it um, glory in the world's eyes? Is it our education? I mean, I mean, all of these things, I mean, jobs and education and, and wealth are meant to be stewarded by us. But as a steward, when we take something that is um, given to us as a gift from God and we elevate it to an ultimate position where it becomes a God to us, then it becomes an idol in our life. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, where do I spend my time, my talent, and my treasure? And oftentimes, where you spend your time, talent, and treasure, there you'll find what you worship. So, you know, if you spend a lot of time on Facebook, you spend a lot of time on Instagram, you spend a lot of time doing other things, you're going to find yourself pursuing those things. And, and essentially what chapter 41 is saying is this. He's saying, evaluate your life. Where do I spend the best of my time? And does that give me ultimate, eternal, infinite hope and joy? Set, your for, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proof, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring. And he says this, in verse, um, and, there's, and there's a contrast going on uh, where we see this from, from verse 7 to verse 8. Because, it, again, we, we see the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil. And, and we see this today. Uh, on Friday night, we, were, uh, we went up to James Madison uh, to visit our, our two girls, Hannah and Olivia. But also we had a, a reunion for people who were involved in Campus Crusade for Christ 25 years ago. And it was, it was a glorious time. But I will tell you that the education system today with the education system is saying, you know what? You know what will, will help and save our society? 
is more education. More education. And, 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 if, and if we're not doing it, we need more education, more education, more education over and over again. Now, here's the deal. I like education. I think education's a really good thing, but I don't place my hope and trust in education. Like, I don't place my hope in the, the academic environment that our, that, our, that our girls are even immersed in at James Madison. But, the, man, there's a whole lot of people who do. And it says, in, and from verse 7 to verse 8, you know, we don't want to double down on the goldsmiths and the, and the people who are fashioning false idols. But in verse 8, it says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. I mean, that is a, a wonderful, wonderful picture there. Because what we have there is this idea that if you are you're chosen by God, if you are in Christ, if you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as He has been revealed within the Scriptures, if you trust and believe in Him, He will not let you down. And you know what it affords you? It affords you to becoming a friend of God. Now, how do we see that? We see that also in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 speaks about this in particular. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 15. I'm going to read this with you right now. The the friendship of God. In John 15, verse 10, it says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So that's Jesus saying, if you want to be joyful, keep His commandments. You know, pursue His commandments. That's a good thing, right? Like, how many of us want to go like, no, 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 I don't really want to be joyful. I just really, really want to be sad and wander around hopeless and aimless in my life. That's my aspirational goal. Well, if that is, I'm sorry, that's, that's bad. But, but joy, pursuing joy, but it goes on. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. Now, there's a whole bunch going on right there, but what we find essentially is that if you are in Christ, if you trust and believe, then you will also obey His commandments, but even more so, you are a friend of God through Jesus. I just think about like what friendship is. I, I, I went online just to do a little research in terms of what friendship is because I think that we, we struggle. So, you know, I went to Google because that's like the, the, the height of all your truth, right? You guys know, I'm, I'm messing around. So there's this, this website called BetterHelp. And, the, and BetterHelp is, I'm, I'm not advocating, you don't have to go there, okay? But if you go to BetterHelp, it's, it's sort of a, a counseling service, an online secular counseling service. And, and, and what's really good is it's medically reviewed by another guy. It's medically reviewed. So it's peer-reviewed in the midst of this, called BetterHelp. And it says, what is the real definition of a true friend? And, and some of it, and here's what's hard, is some of what it says is really, really good. And some of it has just a little bit of garbage in it. Just a little bit of garbage. You know, it's kind of like, again, when you're baking the brownies, I want the brownies that don't have the garbage in it, okay? You know, like if you bake the brownies, you're like, you know, this is really good. I just put 2% garbage in it. But here you go. 98% will be really, really good for you. 
So what, what, what's a friend? It, it, it says this, you know, a true friend consistently has your back. You know, that's what it says. I appreciate that a medical review had to happen for that to be, you know, said. Joe. So a true friend stands up for you. Yeah. When others try to hurt you emotionally or physically, they do everything they can to make sure you stay safe. Yeah, I get that. A true friend, they answer you with empathy, perspective, and honesty. True, friend, true friends aren't phony. They show you who, you really, who they really are. They're honest with you when it matters most. They never try to deceive you to make themselves seem stronger, more successful, or better than they really are. A true friend goes beyond the surface, and true friendship requires some level of vulnerability. When a friend opens up to you and shares their struggles and disappointments, it is a testament to the trust and value they place within you. That's good, right? Here's one that this is the struggle I had. They, a true friend will accept you despite differences. A real friend accepts you as you are. They can encourage you to become a better version of you, but they also help you to see the beauty of who you are right now. They don't get sidetracked by what others may say or think of you. Instead, they celebrate the you they've come to know. Although a true friend may encourage you to make good decisions, they trust your judgment and respect your own personal judgments. They don't become... uh, Let me stop there. You know what a true friend does? A true friend will actually correct you and will actually point you in the way of Jesus. And, when, and a true friend does not trust your judgments, okay? They try to see that the judgments that you're making are aligning with the revealed truth of God within his word. And where they deviate from the truth of God, a true friend will come alongside you and direct you, align you, course correct you in the right direction. That's what a true friend does. A true friend doesn't go, well... I trust their bad judgments. Let them be them. Let them follow their heart right off the edge of the cliff. True friends stop people from making foolish decisions. Now that that implies that we actually have um, a humble heart and will listen to people who are directing our steps within the Bible. Your true friends, they really want what's really best for you. Now that's that's an interesting one. Let, let Let me take a... You know, a false friend might push you to change for them. They might give you the feedback you want rather than the words that will actually help you. A true friend acknowledges your feelings, but at the same time points you towards a happier, healthier life. A true friend is not complacent in your personal growth, and they don't passively sit by and watch you make choices that are not good for you. That's actually pretty good advice. You know, a true friend, if we're truly friends with other people, then we will actually point them in the direction of the thing that will give them or the person that will give them ultimate joy and happiness in this life and forever. Think about the people that you know. Think about the people that you love. Are you being a true friend to them? Because if we are a friend of God, then we are pointing people in the direction of the one who can make you a friend of God. And that is the Messiah. Now, the question arises uh, within this chapter, chapter 41, um, of, you know, the prophet Isaiah comes and he says, you know, I don't see anything. He goes in verse 28, 27 and 28, he goes, I'm looking around in in chapter uh, 41, verse 20, he says, but when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor. Who then, I ask, gives an answer? Essentially, Isaiah is looking around the people of Judah and he goes, who is it? Who's going to give wise counsel to this people? And the the prophecy that we see that's being fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 9 is this, is that there will be one who comes and he will be called 
Well, just turn over there. If you have the book of Isaiah open, turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. You'll see this. It's this idea of, for unto us a child is given. And what we find in in the midst of this um, is that he will be called uh, a wonderful counselor, um, mighty God. In verse 6, for for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And there's this there's this aspect that we see in, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 28, where it says, I don't find any counselor here. Who then, who then will I ask? But rather than finding a counselor among men, he actually sends one who is man, but is also God to actually redeem people from their sins. Who will redeem us from our sins? Who will take us away? It is only the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at verse 14 of chapter 41. I know I'm skipping around, but I'm the one preaching, so here we are. Isaiah chapter 41, 14. It says, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. So what exactly is God saying right there? He's saying that you're pretty much a worm. He goes, Fear not, you know, um, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Now, there's a couple things that we can get from that. First of all, uh, what can worms do? I know what worms do. They can burrow underneath, and they can be fish bait. That's essentially what they're able to do. And what he's saying is that, that you are not capable of saving yourself, but rather, I am the only one who can help you. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So what happens in the midst of, and this is gospel transformation going on right here. The Lord Jesus Christ will take somebody who is incapable of saving themselves, incapable of any good work. a matter of fact, all of our work essentially equates to being worm-like work is what it is. And what he says is, but I will take you who is a worm, who is not capable of saving yourself, and I will redeem you. I will purchase you. And in the midst of the gospel working itself out in your life, you will see a transformation occur. And what is that transformation that occurs? The transformation is this. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. Now, that's an an agricultural metaphor, and a threshing sledge is essentially like a plow, okay? So it's being pulled, it has teeth, and what does a, you know, if you're a worm, you are always underneath the threshing sledge right there. But if you are in Christ through the power of the gospel, through the one who you know, redeems us, it says, I, Behold, I make you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. You shall glory. Now that's a contrast there. Like, so... Essentially, the prophet Isaiah is saying, do you want to be a worm or do you want to be a threshing sledge? Right? Like, Do you want to be a bat or do you want to be the ball? 
You know, where do you want to be in the midst of God's economy? And, and I will say, like, most people should rise up and say, threshing sledge. I would rather be the combine than the corn at this point. Yeah, I want to be the one who does it. And what we see is that the transforming power of the gospel works in us so that, and I think that what we're talking about there, you know, it, it, we're talking about ultimate judgment when we sit and we judge the, the nations, those of us who are in Christ. But I think there's also this sense in which we can move mountains by the power of the gospel. Let me, um, let me share with you a story. This past week, uh, again, on Friday, we were um, in, in Harrisonburg. And, and one of our friends, Joe Slater, who's the um, Reform University Fellowship Minister that we, we've supported, who also is taking care of our two girls, who I, I really appreciate. Um, we were talking about um, the idea of, and you guys have heard this term, social justice, right? You know, people who are concerned for the, for the welfare of those who, who are poor, right? Which, is, by the way, is, is we also see this in the midst of when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. How does the God of Israel care for the poor and the needy? And by the way, I don't really think there's social justice. I think there's just justice. There's what's right and what's wrong. And, and Joe, who's on the college campus all the time at James Madison, he says, I see all of these people who are with a quote-unquote social justice warriors. And they're constantly talking about social justice and social justice. And this is what we need to do. And this is what we need to do. And he goes, and you know what they're doing? Nothing. They're just talking about it. They're just talking about it. And so he, he said, you know, George, we have this great program at our church. He said, we have this program. Where they built their church next to a, a, a rundown neighborhood in Harrisonburg. And it, it's pre- predominantly a Latino neighborhood because uh, a lot of migrant workers were coming to Harrisonburg and they work at the different chicken factories and the turkey and the poultry plants that are there. And when we bought the piece of property for our church, this is the church that we went to in college and our girls go to, he goes, the police came to us and the postal workers came to us and they said, you guys cannot build a church here. This is a dangerous place. Like this neighborhood that you're next to is gang infested. It is dangerous for you to build a church here. And the church leader said, where else should we build a church then? But right here. So what they started was this after school program so that these young children who are immigrating to to America, from you know, Latin American countries who, have, who are struggling with English, who are struggling with math and science. And they started you know, pairing up college students and vo- volunteers. And what they did was they started working with, the, with this, this, this community. And they've been working with this community for about 18 or 19 years. And they said the first year that we did it was a mess. He goes, because these kids have gang signs on them. And these houses that we're taking them to, we had to make sure that these, it was safe for us to drop these children off. And the local school system started to, to drop the school bus. Rather than going into the neighborhood, they start dropping the school bus off at the church so that the church could take care of these young children and teach them how to, how to read and write and act and have you know, manners. And they said something miraculous changed. He goes, about 10 years ago, in the midst of this 18-year process in this neighborhood, we noticed that there were no more gang symbols. All the gang symbols were gone from the neighborhood. All the children were no longer marked out by gang symbols. And the other thing that we noticed was there was no more fighting going on among the children. When the children got dropped off, they knew exactly what was going on. And why was it changing? It was because this perpetual love and the love of Christ that was being worked out as, as students and volunteers were, were caring for, were displaying grace and compassion, but also structure. Structure and love. And, and the church about you know, 20 years ago decided to start a, a Latino church within their church. And there are many, many people in that community 
that their first exposure to the gospel was through this after-school program. And then they began to go to this Hispanic church that was meeting in the church. And, and Joe said, he goes, I've seen people's lives change. He goes, today we can walk through that neighborhood and it's not a dangerous place. He goes, he goes I would feel comfortable allowing my, my, his, his you know, daughter, who's a roommate of Hannah's, my daughter can go drop off children in that neighborhood and walk home and I do not fear for her. It is a safe neighborhood. And you know how it was made safe? Through the power of the gospel. It was through the power of the gospel. And people, and now, there's still brokenness there, right? There's still brokenness. Not everybody's a Christian. Not everybody's, you know, you know, you know eating lollipops, you know, looking at unicorns and, you know, you know, flying through the air and all that kind of stuff. There's still brokenness. But we see that, I mean, really what we see, that is an example of a threshing sledge of the gospel. A threshing sledge going through some of the brokenness you know, overcoming some of the poverty and, and the brokenness of this community so that there are no longer gangs in the neighborhood. And that children, now, now they're almost on a second generation. A second generation of children are being brought up and they say, it is a wonderful thing. And, and quite frankly, if, if you want justice, if you want to help the poor, love their children. I think that's the greatest way that we can actually... Um, fight some of the issues of racism and poverty is to love children and to do it for the long haul. Because you know what? Nobody hates you when you love their children. You notice that? When you love their children, the parents can only care for you. Anyway. But we also see that God does the miraculous. I want you to, one one last point here. God uses you know, crazy things. Look at verse 25. I stirred up one from the north and he has come from the rising of the sun and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar as the potter treads clay. Essentially what he's referring to, and we read about this in in Isaiah chapter 45, we read about it in Isaiah chapter 49, and this person, the one who God stirs up from the north, his name is Cyrus. And he is a Persian emperor and that persian emperor is going to actually reclaim the the nation of jerusalem uh, or the nation of judah and send people back into jerusalem and that's why we have the book is, books of ezra and nehemiah when you look at the book of um ezra you know you will notice that ezra actually begins with in the year of cyrus in the first year of cyrus king of persia that the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah might be fulfilled not only the mouth of Jeremiah would be fulfilled, but through the prophet Isaiah it would be fulfilled because Cyrus, a pagan king who did not trust in the Lord, God is going to raise him up and he's going to use him for his purposes to bring his people back into um, Judah, into the promised land. So, so what do we make, make of that? We make that, that God will use you know, unseemly you know, pagan nations to bring about his will for the good of his plan and for the glory of his name, even in the midst of the people of God. It's crazy that God will use all these things. So is God in control? Yes, absolutely. Because one of the other things that we see is that God has a strong right hand. We see in verse 10 that he has a righteous right hand. We see in verse 13 that he has, I hold you with my right hand. In verse 20, it says the hand of the Lord has done this, meaning that he is able. So the right hand is the dominant hand. It's the hand that has all the power, right? 
And so the right hand is, is from God is saying that I am able to do these things. I can raise up pagan nations. I can raise up people who do not know me for the sake of the people who do know me and for their good and for my glory. And that should boggle your mind a little bit. And yet, closer to home, I've seen that working itself out, not only here, but, but in my own life. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. I'm going I'm to close with this story. Um, so this past Friday, we were at a, a JMU reunion, right? So all of our friends, we had about 40 or 50 people who had significant, either they, they were involved in the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, um, or uh, they're in ministry or they came to faith. And I got to tell you, it was like a foretaste of heaven. I mean, it was, it was so sweet as we saw people coming in, people that we knew and get, you know, seeing their children now involved in ministry. Um, I mean, Dan Flynn, our campus director, was there. It was, it was, it was a glorious place. Um, and so one of the things that happened was, was Dan said, uh, and my, my college roommate, Scott, we both grew up in the church together, but I think we really came to an understanding of the gospel in, 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 our, in our freshman to sophomore year in crew. And Dan Flynn, he said, he said, you know, I have this vivid picture of you and Scott sitting in front of me in Miller 101 and meeting you. And he goes, George, do you remember how that happened? How you came to be sitting in Miller 101 to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? To be you know, you know, in, enveloped in, in, a, in, you know, in, in the body of Christ through crew and then sent off? And I, and I was like, yeah, I remember. And he goes, do you remember there's a, there a guy named Brian Ballard? He was the first guy that I met. Now, Brian uh, was a friend of mine from high school, and Brian was a huge human being. Six foot 11. Could barely dunk. It was a tragedy, travesty. You know, it was just sad. Six foot 11, could barely dunk. I mean, he makes like Josh Sparks and like Jed Coburn look small. I mean, just a massive man. I mean, like, I mean, he had to duck underneath doors as he would come in, all those kind of things. And Brian was playing basketball, and Dan Flynn, the campus director, was playing basketball. And, and a ball, um, uh, and what happened was they were playing basketball, and a basketball rolled over like this, into, a, into like a creek. And Dan, who was probably like 35, 36 at the time, said, oh, I got that. So he went over, and he spent about, you know, 10 minutes like kind of getting down and into this culvert, and he found this guy's basketball, and he brought it back, and he gave it to Brian. And Brian said, man, thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. And Dan said, hey, have you ever thought about coming to Campus Crusade for Christ? And Brian's like, No. Because Brian wasn't going to go to church. I mean, like he was, he had, I mean, he was going to go to a frat party, but he wasn't going to go to church, right? So, but Brian was a friend of ours. I wasn't there. I wasn't there at all. So then Brian, you know, goes to a, a frat party with my, with my friend Scott, who's my roommate and good friend. They're at a frat party. Brian is, is not doing very well at this frat party. Um, matter of fact, Scott had to help him. And in the midst of helping him, Brian felt very sick at this frat party. And you guys can make all kinds of illusions and they're all right. Okay. <laughs> And in the midst of this, in the midst of the pain that Brian was going, he looks up at Scott and says, I got to go check out this Campus Crusade thing. Like, I got to go check this out. There's got to be. And, and literally. And so my roommate Scott heard about Crusade as he's helping our somewhat impaired friend back to, by the way, six foot 11 is hard to carry, you know, back to his room. So Scott comes back and says, Hey, Brian wants us to go to this Campus Crusade thing. And I'm like, Yeah, whatever. So the, the next week, Brian and Scott go to Campus Crusade. They invited me to go, but it was a new episode of Seinfeld, so I didn't go. That's where you could see where my, 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 my categories were at that point, right? 
So the next week, they were like, hey, we're going to go back. Why don't you come with us? And so I went and immediately you know, got involved in a Bible study. I don't want to say it was an immediate thing that we, you know, like I, I turned and saw the lights or anything, but, but it was through the ministry of that. Now, what happened to Brian? Brian went to Campus Crusade about four times and he never went back again. Never went back. And I, and I look at like my life and I go like, look, look what, I mean, quite frankly, I'm up here preaching to you guys, right? I mean, from an errant basketball on the campus of JMU, you know, through a friend of mine who, you know, invited us to go and then never went back himself and basically spent his whole college life, you know, hanging out at frat parties. You know, God can take the crazy things of our life and redirect us to him. You know, God can and God will do that. And that's what we see, that God can raise up pagan nations, he can use errant basketballs, he can use any means at his disposal to draw people to himself and to make us into a threshing sledge through the power of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are thankful for the way that you love us and care for us. And Father, we're thankful that, Lord, at one time we were worms, but now we are threshing sledges. Father, one time we were called your enemies, but now we are called your friend. Father, we are now part of the family of God because of all that you have done for us. So Father, help us. Help us to love and trust you. Father, help us to double down on what you have given us. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would give our very best to you and that we would trust you. So, Father, help us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.